ओम ज्ञान ज्ञानंजन First word here is crosswords. Crossword, crossword. You don't know. You're too pure. You never had anything to do with this. Cross means angry. So gusa shabd. Is that a cross? What's the word in Hindi? I don't know. Anyway, it's in English. Sorry. Come on, Koro. Crosswords are gambling, probably. What happened? You'll find this is written in Transcendental Diary. Ananda Maithabu, who was who's in, still in Iskand Hyderabad after all these years, he's been there since about 1972. He was also present when this happened. That the devotee showed Prabhupada one, like a newspaper they'd made, called the Hari Krishna Explosion. And Prabhupada saw it. He liked it. And then he saw there was a crossword. So Prabhupada, Hari Shari Prabhu, who wrote the Transcendental Diary, said Prabhupada noted mildly, "This is not good. It's gambling. Devotee, why is it gambling?" So Prabhupada said, "Because they give prizes." He said, "Actually, they don't give prizes." But then he said, "He noted that it said winners will be notified in the next edition." So Prabhupada said, "There's winners means they win something. Means there must be some kind of prize." So Prabhupada didn't seem to be very much in favor. He said it was gambling. Now Prabhupada's definition of gambling is very broad. It doesn't doesn't exactly fit the dictionary definition. Prabhupada said speculative business enterprises are also gambling. But exactly what is meant by a speculative business enterprise? It's not clear because any business there's some kind of risk. Now it could be said that stocks and shares is gambling. That's a speculative business. But apparently, Prabhupada was asked about that, and he said, "If you know, apparently, Prabhupada said, if you know what you're doing, then it's not gambling. Because, for instance, if you were to buy some shares of Larsen and Tubro, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be considered. I mean, it's not what you would consider a very great risk, because it's a stable company. You wouldn't probably wouldn't be considered." Much more gambling than buying some land somewhere. The price of land could also go down, so anything could be. In that sense, any kind of business could be considered speculative. And then, if you bought some shares in a some kind of company that comes up on the internet, you know they have these cheating companies. They come on the internet. They say, make invest one thousand dollars and make hundred thousand. And then you, what happens is you invest ten thousand dollars and they make a hundred thousand. Because they make the company go bankrupt, but then they keep the money. So, Prabhupada also said, mundane sports is gambling. But then again, there was one tennis instructor, Peter Burrows, who he asked Prabhupada, should he stop doing that? And Prabhupada said, no, he'll continue. And he even told him how to run his business. Prabhupada gave him detailed advice, and on on the basis of that advice, he, he's become a millionaire. So another thing about competitions, 
um, Prabhupada, he was asked, can it be given a prize to the top book distributor, a plate of Mahaprasada? Prabhupada said, yes. So, it seems that he wasn't wholly against competitions, but he wasn't much in favor either. On the whole, I would, I would analyze like this. It wasn't much in favor. It's not a traditional method of promoting Krishna consciousness. We find it's very popular if we, if we have like Gita, what is it, question competition, Krishna, Krishna book test. In Bangalore, there have been successful Krishna book tests. But then I see they made, they made their edition of Krishna book, leaving out all the philosophy and leaving out the Krishna steals the clothes of the gopis, leaving out the Rasalila, which actually it's very offensive to do them. If you want to present Krishna Leela, then you have to present it as it is. It's not that because some karmis think that it's immoral that you should leave it out. So, from what I can see, that it, it is a good way to, holding competitions like this, it's a good way to evoke public interest. And it also gives ISKCON some more kind of prestige that they're holding these competitions in this and that. But it is not intrinsically part of bhakti. And actually the whole thing, I'll show, I know more, that's actually against the spirit of bhakti. There was one, some devotees in Los Angeles, they invented what they called Krishna Bowl, B-O-W-L, in imitation of a TV program where there are two teams and they, they have to press up, the question is answered and whoever presses, presses the button first, they can answer and like this. And it's a whole very competitive attitude. Prabhupada stopped it. He didn't like it at all. But the thing is one has to hear submissively and it's not really a competition to see who can, who knows more. You may know so many things, it doesn't mean you're a devotee. So, it's one of those nebulous things. Prabhupada wasn't completely against it, but he wasn't very much for it. I remember we did one year some debate competition, this one organized for the centennial. It was horrible. I mean, I thought it was. Other people can say what they like, but we had to judge the people on the basis of that. All these people speaking, Vivekananda said this and that. We were supposed to judge this. I mean, oh, I was somehow or other, they wrote me in as one of the judges. It's horrible. Is it, they had they just they given some topic out. Spiritual life is the need of the day, and all these people they, like that they're quoting Vivekananda and so many bogus things. So that was horrible. They said, "Well, we contacted many people. We don't have to have a competition to contact people. It's not necessary." So, like I said, Prabhupada he allowed many things that he wasn't fully in favor of. If he saw the devotees had, sometimes if he saw the devotees had some enthusiasm like that, he'd allow it. It's like, like a horse, if you're riding it, you give it a little, you don't fully tightly control it, otherwise it, it will just protest and throw you off. But on the other hand, you don't allow it full freedom either. So on the whole, competitions, it's not necessary for spreading Krishna consciousness. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu spread Krishna consciousness all over the world without making competitions. Prabhupada spread Krishna consciousness without making competitions. He encouraged a competitive spirit among his disciples in book distribution. But not to the point that they took it, which is that, I mean, 
they, they became too much competitive there. Just like they, they were they were gonna have a competition. Who can which which party can out which temple can out is is the Radha Damata traveling Sankirtan party. So they invited they were invited to one temple in Florida, Gainesville. They invited to come and we'll have a competition who can distribute most books this day. So the temple president said, Well first we'd like to feed you. And then they fed them so much so much nice prasadam that the, the Radha Damada Tara devotees, they couldn't do any book distribution at all. <laughs> so the purpose is to actually distribute more books for Prabhupada's pleasure. But they, anyway, that's a nice way to do it. There, there are more nasty things that have been done in the name of competition. So it could be said according to this definition that Prabhupada gave that any, anything like that is gambling. It could be said like that. Gambling, what does that mean? That means that the idea is that without much effort, you're just by luck, you're trying to get something more than you deserve. It's a kind of, it breeds a cheating mentality. I remember I used to think that why is gambling considered so bad? I mean, meat eating, you can understand, is very bad. Intoxication, illicit sex, but gambling, just like people go to play bingo. I don't know what that is. I, have that I don't even know what it is. I don't exactly know how it works. But, I say, well, why is it so bad? But then once I was in Denmark, they we were just, they we selling records of all things. These old records. To raise funds for purchasing vehicles in Bangladesh. So we were going door to door. I, I opened one door and it was a big bingo hall where the people they sit and they give some money and then they place it and they, 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 could, they could feel the contamination. It was, like, it was like opening the door on a slaughterhouse. And actually gambling, it's like, uh, it's a compulsive habit. People, they, they spend all their money. They lose, just like in drinking. They just take and they spend it all and they spoil it all. So, like that. There's, in, in America there are two big cities which are just based on gambling. Las Vegas, and then they made another one because Las Vegas is, they make so much money there. They, make another, they made another one in Atlantic City on the East Coast. So it's just all a place full of casinos and places where you go this one-armed bandit. It's a kind of machine. You put some money in, you pull it, and then you have a chance of winning some money. But even if you win, you think, oh, let me try again. And then you lose five times and you win once. And then on the whole, you go on and you go on and you lose much more than you... And the, the habit is, the, the people, they go and they spend all their money. So it's very... It creates a, a cheating and sinful mentality. And it's just like families are spoiled by drinking because the man spends all the money on boozing. So in the same way, by gambling, it's a very common thing. So on the whole, crosswords, competitions... Prabhupada definitely indicated that he wasn't much in favor of it. Although he wasn't wholly against it either. Srila Prabhupada decided that the ten plates they now offer should be cut to six. What happened was in Iskandar Vindavan, just after the temple was newly opened, they were offering ten plates 
of bhog to the deities, then, then there is a, some kind of conflict between the pujaris and the cooks who wanted to offer many plates to the deities and the managers who said, we don't have that much income. So the matter was brought to Prabhupada and he cut the number of plates down. And he, even I think it was, there was like six puris on every, or ten puris and Prabhupada cut it to six, something like this. So generally the idea is that whatever standard of worship is going on here should never decrease, you should only increase. But in this case, Prabhupada decreased it. Now it could be said that the more opulently we serve the Lord, and the more facilities we provide for serving Him, then the more He will reciprocate. And so is there any limiting factor like the temple's financial condition? Well, Shastra also says that one should worship the Lord according to one's means. Now that generally applies to householders, and in temples, traditionally a standard is set and it is maintained, and to maintain it, Usually along with the temples, usually what happens, a Raja or a Zaninda, they will build a temple and they will give land also. So the temple will have some fixed income. And so as long as the land isn't sold off, which has happened now, or taken by the government, as has happened now, then there's a fixed standard can be maintained. But actually Bhaktisthan Saraswati Thakur, he deliberately didn't do this. He didn't have land with the temples. People asked him, why are you not arranging for land? He said that, well, if, there, if there's no means of income, then the devotees will have to go out and preach. And then there'll be some income. And if there's just land, then they'll just sit and eat and sleep. He said, if there's no preaching, then there's no use to having a temple anyway. So that was his outlook. So, there has to be a balance. We should always think how to serve the deities as nicely as possible. But we should also see the situation that the main method of serving Krishna in the modern age is Yajnayar Sankirtana Prayayajantihi Sumedhasa. In Kali Yoga, the main method of serving Krishna is by Sankirtan Yajna, which means preaching, bringing people to see the deities, to surrender to the deities. So we should certainly never neglect the deities. And especially when we have Radha Krishna deities installed in a temple of Iskon, we should worship opulently and nicely. But at the same time we should understand that we also have to spend for other activities, uh, for preaching Krishna consciousness. So, like I say, there should be some balance. The standard shouldn't fluctuate. It's not that Prabhupada said ten plates, six plates, and then after two days he said seven plates, and then he said three and a half plates. Should, there should be a fixed standard. And it may also be that if circumstances change, that after mature, after making a mature decision, taking all leaders into account, not just that Whimsically, the town president says, okay, now we're going to change, or the pujari says, we're going to change. No. Generally, the standard should be fixed. It may be changed under extraordinary circumstances. And, although we worship the Lord as opulently as possible, we also have to take into consideration extenuating circumstances. If you know what that means. It means, 
the situation as it happens to be. Vegetables eaten by different living entities and converted into semen. When the vegetable plant is killed, is that soul not transferred to some yoni? Well, according to this, no. Actually, this reference is also quoted in the Bhagavad Gita proper, that grains are eaten. You know, what happened? You know, in the heavenly planets, one, uh, they go to the water in the clouds and then it goes to the ground, they enter the vegetable and it enters the semen. So this is actually taken from, I believe, one of the Upanishads, I believe, Chandogya Upanishad, it's stated like this. So, uh, if Shastra says like that, then in that case, the, uh, the, the, the soul who is in that plant remains there. Because how does that happen? Karma Deva Netrena Jamtetri Everything, a jiva is placed within a certain situation due to his previous karma and under daivanitri, under the guidance of Paramatma and the demigods. So if they have ascertained that this jiva who is in this potato or whatever it may be should enter this room, then they'll make the arrangement. It's a very complex thing. I don't know exactly how it goes on. I don't know if anyone in this world knows exactly, I mean, in this planet, the demigods, they're overseeing, they must know. But this much we know from Shastra. We're not like, you see, in modern science, the idea is you should try, you should understand everything. And you'll they'll go into the, how the grass is growing, how the chlorophyll is interacting with the sunlight and this and that. But in Vedic culture, there, there, there may not be so much deep investigation because there's no need. Not necessary. They don't waste their time studying things which are not necessary. Simply in Shastra it's stated, it happens like this. Exactly the details, at what point the jiva leaves the carrot <laughs> and becomes digested and how it, in the whole digestive process, how the, how the, the carrot fibers become, they enter the stomach and the intestines and how that turns into semen. And scientists, they may analyze, but we don't go into such. In, uh, in Ayurveda, they analyze these things to some extent, how, the, how from food, food is turned into semen and there are so many, it, it turns into blood and chile and marrow and, and so many things. I don't know exactly. Hmm. Like uh, we say that the jiva enter at the time of uh, interview, but there are certain diseases uh, it is converting to semen, vegetable, and they are taking so many vegetables, and actually in the male there are millions and millions yeah, of yeah, yeah, yeah. cells. So one particular one interacts with the ovum. So not that at that time it enters. You mean at that particular time? Yes. Uh, I wouldn't know exactly. When it says, at that time, that may be flexible also. Like I say, in many matters, as far as I understand, I also haven't researched it deeply, but in many matters, the Shastra may not be so precise about all the details. 
He just gives a general. This, like I was saying this morning, these kind of things, someone may research. It's a big job. You have to go through all the Puranas. And that's another big thing because, you know, there may be interpolations and different editions. And even then, even if you understand Sanskrit perfectly, from, in one text there may be different meanings and then you also have to be blessed by Krishna to understand. Just like so many people read Shastra and they, all the Shastras are meant for understanding Krishna. They never find Krishna. So, there's a lot of job, job to do if we want to do so in research. Otherwise we can just accept what's said in the Shastra and we say that, well, whatever the details are, Krishna knows. I, I, he's Sarvagya. He knows everything. I don't and it's not my position to know everything either. Nor is it possible for me to do so. So this much we know. And the thing is, even if you research fully what's stated in Shastra, then the, the kind of people who would doubt that, even if you present, they won't accept it. <laughs> but in, definitely Prabhupada wondered that there would be research, and just like now we have devotees there presenting the Dutta Kamapur who is going around and presenting the, the Vedic concept of time. The, the, the Western concept is both in the scientific world and in the Christian religion, the Western concept is one of linear time. In other words, the creation started at one point and, at some, and it's been going on since then. But according to the Vedic concept, it's circular. There's srishti stiti palai, srishti stiti palai, it goes on and on and on. It's not that in the, the unlimited stretch of eternity, all of a sudden God created something in one tiny planet in the middle of nowhere. And this is, you know, this is all of reality and after some time it will all be finished and most people will go and burn in hell and whoever believes in the Bible, they will be saved. And most everyone else will, they will be burning in hell for the rest of eternity. So that's the Christian, I mean it's childish. It's not even childish because when I was a child even I could understand this is nonsense. It's sub-childish. It's kindergarten. It's, it's philosophy that is suitable for people in a kindergarten only. I think by about the age of eleven or so I could realize this is just nonsense. Why am I supposed to believe this? So, uh, yeah, anyway, so people who are somewhat open to accept other paradigms of reality than those have been presented in modern science if we can present the Vedic teachings in a in what they consider a scientific way that may be effective for preaching in certain circles but it's a very specialized thing and other people, ordinary people may also ask oh how does this happen, how does this happen so if at some point our scientifically minded devotees do some such research we may be able to give them some such answer if not we can tell them well that's what it says in the Shastra you can take it or leave it. It's up to you. That much we can say. Which may not... See, in the modern age they have this idea that you have to be able to answer every question about everything. But it's... That's also unrealistic. And if you go deeper into science, although the common man is under the illusion that the scientists... They under, they're under some illusion that scientists know everything. But actually the scientists themselves 
they disagree about almost everything. Is it so? In the textbook, uh, every theory adds, ultimately how exactly it happens, we don't know. As I've often quoted, a neurosurgeon once told me, we don't know actually how the brain works. We know how to operate on brains, but we don't actually... The, the generally accepted theory is that there are, there are charges, some kind of charges, going in between the neurons or brain cells, but no one's ever proved it. Exactly how charges between different neurons would translate into thoughts and emotions it's, it's beyond they can't even however the thought processes go on they have no idea how what is actually the relationship how the brain works and exactly what, what is the relationship between even if, the, if there are impulses going on between the neurons what is the actual relationship of that to thoughts emotions memory and all the different functions which are supposed to be going on in the brain. So they really don't know very much about the brain, for instance. Some things they may know. They, they, obviously they know some things, otherwise how could they operate on your heart? They have some, you know, they have a pretty good idea how the heart works, would you say? Or not? But again, like, uh, from where the energy comes? All oh, right, they don't know where the energy comes from the heart. But how it operates as a mechanism, it's a, it's a, very, it's a fairly simple mechanism, it, it's a pump. It pumps. And sometimes the, the pipes get blocked up and they try to clear them. So it's a fairly simple mechanism. Yeah, but where the energy comes from to make it pump, that they don't know. Who is the predominating deity within the sun, Vivasvan or Hiranmai Narayana? Well, ultimately, the predominating deity everywhere is Narayana. But just like Indra is called the king of heaven, actually the ultimate king of heaven is Narayana. And Narayana particularly resides in the sun as Surya Narayana, a particular form within the sun. It's something like, you know, who's in charge of this sun? Good question. (laughs) Well, ultimately, Krishna is in charge. And then you could say Jashwati Nandan Prabhu is in charge or like that. So Jashwati Nandan Prabhu, he's, in, he's the term of president. But ultimately the real in charge is Radha Giridhari. We wish to raise the temple standards but some devotee is unable to. What should be given more importance, individual devotees or temple standards? Well, what should we reply? Anyone who arrives in Mongolati five seconds after the conch blow should be shot dead. What do you think? That's one extreme. And the other extreme, <laughs> we don't recommend it. Don't quote that. Don't put it on the internet. Like because Swami says. The other extreme is, well, we should be tolerant. It doesn't matter if you go to Mongolati or not. Be realistic. You know, not everyone can go. And we want to increase the number of devotees in the temple. They're all devotees. It doesn't really matter whether you go or not. So there's one extreme and the other extreme. Generally, we want to keep the standard high. 
Otherwise, what's the use of having a temple? Temple is supposed to give an example to others outside how they can live. Actually, if people can't follow all the standards, then they should live outside. And they can do the best they can. But living in a temple, then one who's living in a temple should rise early, attend Mongolati, chant 16 rounds. There should be some minimum. Now, if someone can't do that, actually they shouldn't live in a temple. There may be some lenience. Just like someone may struggle and come to Mongolati a little late sometimes. That should also, there should be some discipline or attempt to raise that person. If he doesn't set a very good standard for others. Especially, you see, when someone joins a temple, if, it's a, if they see that, well, it's allowed, you can come late or not come, then they'll think, okay, I'll also do like that. And then the standard can never come up. So the best thing is that the standard should be kept as high as possible. And only people should be allowed to join the temple who are ready to follow those standards. That's why Prabhupada in one letter he said that actually we shouldn't take everyone into the temple. First, we should let them come and hear and understand the philosophy and then when they're convinced, then they'll follow everything nicely. Otherwise, if you just bring people in who are not up to the standard, then the whole standard will go down and the whole thing will go to hell. On the other hand, Prabhupada as a matter of pragmatism, sometimes allowed devotees who are well below the standard to go on living in the temple. Especially if they've done good service in the past. Or sometimes they may be doing good service at present, but on the other hand they don't follow much spiritual program. So I discussed this once with Prabhavishnu Swami. I don't think any of you really know him. You may have heard about this. But he told me some different incidents and he said that as far as he could see, Prabhupada's policy was to let people, Prabhupada's policy wasn't to hang them, I said shoot them. Prabhupada's policy wasn't to hang them, but to give them a chance and then if they didn't improve, then they'd hang themselves. It's an English thing, another English thing. You don't hang them, you let them hang themselves. Not a very pleasant thing, but there it is. So, that we have to see. Generally, we should keep the standard very high. And uh, if we do that, then those who join, they'll come up to that higher standard. And then if they, and we should make it clear that if you can't maintain that standard, then actually you shouldn't live in the temple and you should work make a living like this. So, in general, the temple standard that should be given precedence over individual devotees' weaknesses. But at the same time, we should not be totally insensitive and inhuman. How should we deal with problems arising from differences of opinion among devotees regarding devotional service? 
This is a general question and there will be different instances in how the problems arise. If there are small differences, then individuals can overlook and not become too much disturbed. If there are major differences, then it's better to bring it to a higher authority and take their judgment. Regarding initiation, how strict should we be? What is the criteria for recommending someone for first and second initiation? How strict? Well, there are general guidelines given in Shastra, but each in the, historically each guru has um, each guru has applied those guidelines at different levels. And we find in ISKCON today some gurus are very strict about giving initiation and some are very liberal and the GBC has attempted to make some standard minimum guideline. But then again we see there are always different kinds of individual cases. The best thing is that, um, and this is also what the GBC actually requires, actually the GBC guideline is more strict than I think any guru follows. because. It says that everyone who's going to get initiated, they should have daily full morning program even if they're living at home, which is not possible. It's an unrealistic guideline because if they're working, they're working and they have to send the children to school, they can't have a full morning program from 4.30 to 9 o'clock. They have to send their kids to school before that. So it's, I don't know why they made such rules, but anyway, uh, Maybe they weren't thinking about congregational devotees or not, but the minimum standard Prabhupada gave is four regulated principles and 16 rooms. But if they're going to maintain that, then we, we want to see that, that they understand the philosophy as given in Prabhupada's books. The best thing is that in any temple, that devotees, like devotees living in the temple and congregational devotees, they get guided from the beginning of their devotional life and then recommended preferably by a group of three or four senior devotees in the temple and then the guru can say, okay, that's better. I'd, I'd rather see that myself rather than individuals coming to me and asking. It's, it's better that the temple devotees, they recommend and in most cases, it doesn't matter if they wait some time also. Let's see if they, let's see if they remain. Because there are many people who take, it's, it's Maya's very strong. They, they give up tea, coffee, and cinema, and so many things. They take initiation. And then after, in many cases, they again go away. So, it's better to see that people have, Spend a little time, see that they're steady, see that they have some basic understanding of the philosophy. That, in my opinion, is better. Now, on the other hand, one of, our, one of my godbrothers, he's based in Europe, he's very strict about initiation. He usually keeps people waiting at least five years. And sometimes after keeping them waiting for four or five years, he tells them no also. So he's very strict. But even then it seems that some of the people he initiates, they also, after some time, they go away. So it may not be that, uh, waiting, it may not be that waiting a long time is, 
always the best thing. The best thing is that both before and afterwards the devotees are given strong association and that's maintained. Now, we're talking about devotees who are in regular contact with the temple, but sometimes you find devotees who live maybe hundreds of kilometers away from the temple. Then you just have to decide in their case. But no one can see them or they may not be getting regular contact, but they may be following also. So then you have to see what to do. In other words, there's not one answer to this question. Criterion for second initiation. Um, they should have a good philosophical understanding. That should be the. I think it's fairly well established here and in Baroda where I'm initiating more than anyone else that even though I am initiating more than anyone else, there's, you know, we don't want to make a, like a, a group spirit or any such thing, that we, we welcome disciples of all different gurus in Iskand to come and serve, and we will, anyone, they want to take initiation from any guru in Iskand, they're welcome to do so. Although, like I say, they're mostly taking from me because I mostly come in the the fall of the jiva, once we go back, is there a possibility of falling down again? Well, several times in Gita, Krishna says, once having gone there, you never come back. But, wait for this, this is a highly controversial question. There have been maybe hundreds of pages of points written about this. But Prabhupada, he said that the jiva, when he was asked about this, he said the jiva is always marginal and he has a desire. So theoretically he can also choose not to serve Krishna again. Prabhupada said it's always possible. So according to Prabhupada, there is, although the general case would be not. This matter, from what I can see, it's one of those things that falls under the achintya section. Because why anyway would the jiva come down from it? Although some people say, well, we never fell. Although it's another highly controversial question. Although according to Prabhupada, and it can be verified from Shastra also that there, there, is, there are statements in Shastra that we fell from Vaikuntha. And people say, well, how would you fall? Because there's no maya there. But then on the other hand, if they say that, well, at some, at some point, if there's some choice, then if we had the full uh, scope to choose, then why wouldn't we choose Krishna? It's inconceivable. Or then uh, the philosophy or the idea comes that Nitya Bhadra means that we will always say, well, then why would Krishna put us in this circumstance? So whichever way you look at it, it's difficult to understand. As Prabhupada used to say, Quoting Ramanujacharya, if you have fallen in the ocean and you're struggling, then you should get out. Do whatever is required to get out. The most important thing isn't to understand how you fell in the ocean. 
Or if you're sick, you should find out how to get cured. It's more important than finding out, analyzing how you got sick. Yeah, then? Actually, Prabhupada, he went into some detail. Devotees were questioning him about this. That's why many devotees consider it, including myself, consider it a point of Guru Nishta, faithful following of Prabhupada, to accept what Prabhupada said about this, because Prabhupada was several times questioned about this. How could you fall from the spiritual world? And Prabhupada consistently explained that, yes, it's possible because we have to serve Krishna out of love, and love means you choose, there's no question of force. So if you choose, there's also the possibility of misusing your choice. Prabhupada said that there's no question of love. If I put a gun at your head and say, love me, that's not love. So this question, one of the reasons it's become very controversial is because those who say that, well, we never fell from Vaikuntha, they're actually contradicting what Prabhupada at length and consistently explained. And also, even though there are statements in Shastra that, that uh, even in Prabhupada's books, that one cannot fall from Vaikuntha, the fall of Jayam Vijay was an accidental case, but then again, was an unusual case. But then again we see in the fourth canto of Bhagavatam there's the story of the the swan who is the para, the Paramatma who comes to the Jiva and says that we are old friends and we knew each other, we were together previously and Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains that this means that was the Jiva who was previously with Krishna. So there appears to be contradictory evidence. Yeah, what were you going to say? Where did you read this? Conversation. Yeah. Yes. But when he was questioned more intimately, he said there is a possibility. Giriraj Maharaj, he, that was when he first came to the temple. It was about 1968 and he asked that question. So in general the answer is yes, as compared to the material position in which we always fall down. So the spiritual position is achuta, that from which we don't fall. But ultimately only Bhagavan is achuta. The jiva who is achuta-ashrita, he also by the grace of achuta becomes achuta. But according to what Prabhupada explained in another conversation, there is a possibility. So the, the theological ramifications of this are immense. As I said, there has already been maybe thousands of pages of different philosophical points put out on this. But I'm, to, to keep it simple, I'm simply repeating what Prabhupada said. In the Bhagavatam, in one Prabhupada, it said that Lord Shiva is not a personal name, it is a post. So I looked that up and it says that in the purport it stated that Indra, Brahma and Shiva, they are not personal names, they are posts. And that Vishnu sometimes, when there's no suitable Jiva, Vishnu sometimes takes the position of Indra or Brahma, they didn't say Shiva. So actually even in one sense, even Vishnu you could say is, it's... A post. It's a post that's occupied by the Supreme Personality of God. It's not a changeable post. But it's, it's, it's more an indication of his position. 
It's, it's not a personal loving name like Radhana or Govinda, Nanda Nanda. But it indicates that he is Vishnu means who is all pervading. So uh, in that sense, Indra and Brahma, they are changeable positions. Shiva, he, that is a, it's not that there are many individual Shivas, but there are many individual Rudras who are not directly Shiva himself, but who are different living beings who are considered expansions of him, because they are filled with his potency to some extent. So those Rudras, they may, different living beings may take that position. But Lord Shiva himself, he's, he's a fixed position. He's a position, but it's a fixed position. That's another, I mean, like I say, you want to get into research, it's a big job. Shastra research, there's so many things. If you want to research the position of Lord Shiva, you see then there's Vaishnava point view, even different Vaishnava Sampradayas will have different angles, and then they'll and then if you say, well, what the Shaivas say, there are so many different kinds of Shaivas also. There are different Sampradayas of Shaivas. We all have different opinions also. So it's a very big job. Anyone wants, they can do it. It should be done at some point in time. But actually more important is to basically understand the Krishna conscious philosophy and preach it. Otherwise, there's so many details. There's no, the thing is that once you start research, even if you think I'll research some small thing, and then it leads to another question, and another question, and there's no end. There's no end to it. And this book on Pakistan says what the people are asking, is it ready? They're wondering why is it taking so long? Because there are questions, and then 